peace to you under Jesus' cross, friends. Amen. Genesis 3, verse 15. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Adam and Eve stood there listening as God spoke those words. They remembered those words. They told their children about those words. Their grandchildren were told about those words. Their grandchildren's grandchildren were told those words. Until a few thousand years later, Moses committed those words to paper for the first time as he composed the book we call Genesis. That was God's first promise to sinners. He told them that he would send a champion, a hero, a rescuer, to do battle with the tempter. And the battle would end with a clear outcome. The devil defeated. The hero wounded, but victorious. For him a struck heel, for Satan a crushed head. It didn't look like you would expect it to, though, did it? What God described to Satan with Adam and Eve in earshot sounded quite a bit more heroic than a naked man dying in agony while nailed to some splintery wood. Yet this verse must have echoed in Jesus' ears all during his long night of beatings and abuse. Through the sham trials and the false witnesses, you will strike his heel, God had said. And so over and over during that night and all through the next day, Satan struck and struck and struck at Jesus' heel. Genesis 3.15 was not the only scripture which had pointed ahead to Jesus' suffering. Our gospel reading itself pointed to other scriptures that foretold elements of Jesus' death. John points to Psalm 22 as the soldiers gamble over Jesus' clothes. Both that psalm and Psalm 69 contain references to Jesus' thirst and to the wine vinegar which would be offered to him. Our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 53. This is maybe the clearest, uh, the most specific, the most distinct prophecy about the suffering that God's Christ, his chosen servant Jesus, would endure. It speaks of Jesus being numbered with the transgressors, and indeed that's exactly what we see. Jesus is numbered, is placed alongside transgressors as he's crucified with these two criminals, these lawbreakers, on either side of him. Earlier this week on Palm Sunday, we considered Jesus' humility as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that was certainly humble, given that he was and is the Lord of the universe. But who could have imagined God sinking to this level of humiliation? Naked and bleeding, executed alongside murderers. And he was innocent. From our Isaiah reading, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That prophecy was borne out in the life of Jesus. He was an innocent man. What could we compare this injustice to? Imagine a teacher. that Not just any teacher, a good teacher. The kind of teacher who wins teaching awards. The teacher who digs into her own pocket for supplies when students need them. The kind of teacher who says, whose students later say, right, she, she changed my life. Imagine that person beaten and abused and lined up in front of a firing squad. Jesus knew all along that this is what that day would entail. He knew that he would be rejected, betrayed, insulted, abused, humiliated, executed, and it weighed heavily on him. The night before his crucifixion, he knelt and prayed for hours with sweat pouring off him like great drops of blood. It was everything Isaiah had predicted seven centuries before. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus knew those words. He knew those prophecies. He intended to be sure that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Go ahead sometime. Dive into the Old Testament. 
Find any passage you can that speaks about the Messiah, the Christ, whom God had promised to send. Find in particular any passage like Isaiah 53, which speaks of his suffering. Then go and see that Jesus fulfilled every single word of every single one of those prophecies perfectly. He was thirsty. His clothes were gambled away. He was mocked and beaten. He died. See that it all happened just as predicted. Then look at the verses which speak of the result God would bring about. Let's look at Isaiah's words again in verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Uh, Here, Isaiah relates God's promise as to what Jesus' suffering will bring about. Jesus' suffering will justify many. By means of his suffering, he will bear their iniquities. Every single verse regarding the agony that Jesus would endure points us toward the result that would bring about. His suffering and death bring us life and peace. Even that very first promise, Genesis 3.15, made this clear. Satan would strike Jesus' heel, yes, but Jesus, the result would be that he would crush Satan's head. Suffering result. Why so much suffering? And why was it so important that Jesus fulfill every last one of these prophecies of his own horrific suffering? Well, if God made sure that down to the last little word, Jesus carried out every aspect of these prophecies regarding his suffering, then ask yourself, would God not also carry out to the very last word every aspect of these prophecies regarding your salvation? If God let his son be abused by wicked men because of his love for you, will he not carry out every promise he has made to you as his child, as an heir of heaven? If God placed the weight of your sin's guilt on his son's shoulder and then turned his face away from that son, will there be any doubt that your sins are indeed removed as far as the east is from the west? If Jesus, who had authority to lay down his life, did so on a tree for your sake, can there be any doubt that he intends to raise you to life forever at his return. If the scriptures regarding the suffering of Jesus were fulfilled, and surely they were, each one, then let there be no doubt that what Christ has promised regarding your salvation will be fulfilled as well. It's good for us to ponder Jesus' suffering and its results the love that he has for us every year because it's the natural state of our heart that our thoughts drift away from our guilt, from Jesus' suffering. It's just too great a gift for us. We feel grateful when someone spots us 10 bucks. We would overflow with thanks if someone would save us in in some kind of emergency, would pull us out of a burning car. Yet our hearts can so easily discredit what God has done in rescuing us from sin, from death, and from Satan by bringing us into Jesus' kingdom. The writer to the Hebrews called such an attitude, crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. When we forget the love that Christ has for us, the suffering which he endured for us, he is disgraced in our lives in the eyes of the world. And the writer uses a metaphor on which we can reflect. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. The land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless, and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. The writer compares Christians to land being rained on. 
writer compares the gospel message to the rain falling on that land. And with that metaphor, we're asked to consider, what plants do we produce as the gospel message is showered out on us? Does the gospel poured out result in a useful crop for others? Not for ourselves, but for others. Or do we, despite the gospel, produce thorns and thistles as we interact with others? Are we uncharitable, ungracious? Are we prickly, defensive, and unkind? Such land is worthless to the farmer. In danger of being cursed, in the end it will be burned. It is such conduct in our lives, which the writer calls crucifying the Son of God all over again. And on Good Friday, something we admit is that we are often such land. We offer up to our brothers and sisters nothing but thorns and thistles and invite them to take a big old bite. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. This scripture, too, is fulfilled in our lives, in our actions, in our thoughts and deeds. So the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. For the thorns and thistles of your sin, he shed his blood. He was crushed for our iniquities. The fists and whips that rained down on him came as he took away your guilt. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. These scriptures are fulfilled as well. Every last one. Amen.